because of the way I have to reach for the um, crank, um, in the sense that a lot of hand cyclists are low down, i.e. they lay flat virtually on their backs, if you can kind of visualise that, and they use their arms fully and their elbows in order to actually turn the crank. Well, because I've got no elbows and I've got very short arms, I can't actually do that. Therefore, I'm sat kind of upright on the hand bike. Um, therefore, my aero status is, <laughs> I would say, pretty poor, really. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are, you, are you achieving the circular motion? Is it just a pumping motion that you can achieve from the shoulder no, no, up I, and down then? Or no, is it, what, how do you achieve the... I can turn the whole crank. But yeah. a lot of it is coming from my back muscles and stomach. I see, right? So you're, yeah, that's that's where you're getting that extra joint from. Jeez. So that so you having to do um, specific. I mean, I imagine you do anyway. But are you having to do extra specific um, uh, exercises on your lower back to support that, or your upper back? I do 200 sit-ups um, or semi-crunches every day. Thank you. Welcome <laughs> to Life Behind Bars. <laughs> oh, Welcome to Life Behind Bars, the cycling podcast that climbs all over amateur riding and stops for coffee and cake with pro peloton opinion along the way. With me this week, as ever, the Simon Cowell to my Simon Yates, Stephen Balby. <laughs> <laughs> No. No. And the it's what are you gonna be, David? The Hugh Grant. My Hugh Carthy. Oh, How about that? You like that, don't that's you? That's a win. I'm Graham Wilgos. <laughs> I don't have anything to my anything, so if you want to offer up a you're the a classic Brit. You're the max strength to my Lemsip. With a classic Brit. Yeah. Can I just you've entirely got that around the wrong way because I'm clearly the Hugh Grant to your Hugh Carthy, and he is wearing a t-shirt that Simon Cowell would wear. What's a, a t-shirt that Simon Cowell... Oh, I'm going to regret well, asking slightly this. Slightly low to... It's too low cut around the, the neck. and well, Unlike Simon Cowell, I don't have a pronounced middle-aged friend. And you appear to be... You appear to, there be, appears to be some evidence that you've shaved a chest as well. No, I just haven't been able to grow hair, which is handy yet when you're cycling. Yeah. Right. Uh, th- th- thanks for that incredibly personal introduction. <laughs> Uh, what are we talking about this week, boys? What have you been doing? I've been asking Stephen if I can borrow his bike... And he hasn't yet said no. Good. Well, because you are looking for a bike for? Uh, I, 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 my bike's in for... It's the ongoing saga of Roxanne and her illnesses means that she's in for fixing this weekend. And I Again? Yeah. Mate, you just got to bite the bullet with her, haven't you? Bottom bracket's go gone. Just face, face facts. What does that mean? What does that mean to bite the bullet with you? To well, trade her in for a new... Yes, a new... that's exactly what that means. Yeah. What did you think it means? Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think you should do, Steve? Uh, well, I don't know. I think you should hanging ask, on too you long. Should ask. You should think very carefully before asking his mates if he can borrow their best bikes, because that is, to me, um, I don't know if anyone else has ever ever has any thoughts on this, but uh, to me, a bit like asking if you can, you know, just blindly bed your mates' wife. Let me ask you. Wow. Let me ask you a different question. <clears throat> if I said, Stephen, when your bike was brand new. Can I either ride your bike or sleep with your wife? Which would you have said yes to? I don't think we should go down this (laughs) road. Neither. (laughs) Uh, 
Is this because you have not had any success in borrowing your brother's new bike? I have not. Or sleeping with his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or sleeping with his wife. No. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't asked, but uh, I'm asking you if I can borrow your bike this week. <coughs> right, well, in response to that, I've, I've just, you know, I'm going to have to think of some excuses um, <laughs> that will tediously have to go through the process of you saying, well, you know, why not just do this then? And I'll say, sure, 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 but this... And you'll say, well, that's fine. You can just do this. And, and then I'll run out of excuses. Why did you say, sure, 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 like a leprechaun? Sure, 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 sure. Just love the Irish. Making the calculation of how many Irish listeners we've lost as a result of that last sentence. A leprechaun would be a climber. Correct, yeah. Or would he be a sprinter? Well, Oh, like Caleb Ewing. He's tiny, isn't he? Surprisingly small. Yeah. Good. I have yes. very, some very close personal friends who are Irish. Also, look, I'm asking to ride your bike because you are you are actively not training, so your bike's not getting ridden. Yes, no, it's just so she, it needs she's just be, on her uppers. She, she needs um, to be ridden. Surely. Yeah, she's all wheelless and upside doing, down. The doing you a favour. How's your not training going? Well, fantastically. Yeah. Uh, the most consistent training I've ever done. <laughs> not training, really, really adopting the wheel boss model from 2018 and running into that. Are you? Uh, are you going to go for the little burst at the end, or are you are you sticking to the original fine burst? I've got to tell you, Steve, it's easy to fall down when adopting that model. <laughs> Don't do what I did. Don't fall into the same trap I did of actually going for a bike ride and doing fifty <laughs> kilometres in desperation the week before the marmot. <laughs> Thinking, this do, you, do. do you think that made any difference? Oh, I think I just wanted to make sure my bike was working. At least my bike was working properly. Joe, you know it would have made a difference. It would have helped you get a little bit further. I remember the worst condition I've ever been in was when we were in Mallorca. I well. And uh, we were all a bit crap. I mean, David, you were, had done some commuting. Uh, so I remember just trying to go up a mountain and, uh, at the same pace I normally would have and, and uh, just realising when there's nothing in your legs, there's really nothing in your legs. And you, you have... can't will it. That's like you, ma- you imagine it's just one gear could, the could, whole time, could just will it slow better. and painful. Like like I sit here now time. and think, if, I, if I'm doing like the marmot or any big ride and I fatigue, in, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, it'd be fine because I'll just will myself more fit. But when you actually get there, it's so weird. Yeah, and it's nothing. frustrating. Yeah, yeah. As well. I often think about our time in Mallorca. Yeah. And that time that I beat Stephen up the cycle of Ah. Heady days, Steve. Yeah. Do you think the about scenes. that? Do you think about that night? Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've got nothing here. Well, tell you what, <laughs> I, I sometimes lapse into thinking about the morning where I was uh, applying iodine to saddle sores using my phone as a mirror. Yeah, it's stingy. It's not the greatest moment of my life. There's really does you know. Right. Um, well, anyway, look, the Giro has happened. Um, I actually am not particularly bothered with it. It wasn't a classic. um, So I was uh, going into the final week, I really thought it was set up to be a classic, and there had been two good stages, and I was really, this is going to be brilliant, and then it just wasn't. It It was a bit of It wasn't a classic, because after Carapaz had got his lead, he never at any point to me looked in danger. Nibbly had a crack once or twice. Hugh Carthy is uh, the one bright point from a British point of view, finishing just outside the top ten. That aside, I mean, very little to report. I'm quite pleased that Rodlich got on the podium. As Ah, evidence. Hold on a sec. Was there a sock? Yeah, Micah didn't get on the podium, so you owe socks, yes. At stake. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah no, inexplicably badly, badly advised. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're real, so you might not remember. Badly it, advised right? myself. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely stuck. With, no, I, I had the uh, the cojones to stick yeah. with my prediction. Unlike some, did someone go for Carapaz winning it? I predicted that whoever happened to be in pink at the time would. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you should you should forfeit you socks and all so prizes. You predicted Yates to I, no, I said I wanted Yates to win it, and, and then I suggested that someone we didn't expect. This is more interesting. What were our predictions from the outset? Who did we say would win? I said Roglic. I said you said Dumoulin. Yeah. And Steve? No, you didn't. No, you never mentioned him. No, you know fine well that you didn't. Who did you predict from the outset? I made clear that I wanted no, Yates to outset. win, and therefore I would... Yes, at the outset I said heart So actually... heart ruling head, I said Yates. I was the most successful. Yes. Well, it depends. I did send you a blue In a speaking. Well, it, it depends I mean, on who you said would win it. Yeah, I mean, right. I think we... And, and you're, yeah. you're the winner you picked. Yeah. We'll never know. Started well, stage five, but did not finish. No. Well, so by, by predicting the person well, did get injured on stage third, five, you're stage the most six. successful. <coughs> I mean, you deserve a Magli Rosa of your own. The horse I picked yeah. finished on the podium. Very, very good. Um, I think that it was a pale imitation of last year's. However, uh, actually, I say that because the winner, albeit I do think he fully deserved it, uh, it was just a shame for me that ultimately he gained most of his winning, his decisive advantage, simply because the other two favourites were looking at each other yeah. and ignored him. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It that's part of the reason why it wasn't really a classic. Uh, there was no real, there was no real to and fro. Well, I think we it was call it a dance squib the last week. Just, it, he well, so he stole, he's, yeah, you're right, he stole away and gained the time and then was On the stage 14 and, and it was, was cut just, and dry from that point on. It was just sensible enough to just follow Nibali because Nibali... Well, yeah, all, exactly, all they had to do was, yeah. was contain who, who, whomever was going off the Well, front. there you go then, Giro, not always the most beautiful Grand Tour. Let's Good to have dealt with that. the original <laughs> and best Tour de France coming up. I, I thought, I thought, the tour down under was your bag for this yeah. season. That was it. Well, yes, that and the tour. No, I sorry. So, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. Uh, right. So we you know we've got real heavy hitters coming up in the tour. Uh, I, I would, I would, I would uh, explain why I thought the Giro was such a dense group, which was when I went to find some pictures to put on Instagram the day after. Um, albeit I was quite busy, so ultimately ran out of ran out of time. Unfortunately, um, what's our Instagram handle, Stephen? Uh, it's uh, Life Behind at Life Behind Bars podcast, isn't it? Life Behind at Life Behind Bars. No, it isn't, yeah. Stephen. That's, <laughs> that's silly. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> no such right? Instagram no, handle exists. Um, when I went to look for a photo, the the most exciting photo I could find to represent the Giro was in fact uh, a picture of Tom Dumoulin receiving a pizza on the podium two years ago. Which I think handily exemplifies what a sort of disappointment this year's was. So, I mean, it sets up well for the Tour de France, doesn't it? I mean. No, in no way. Well, well yeah. only in as much as by comparison the Tour might be less boring <laughs> than usually. Well, that's for that, for that, that point. So, so actually, there's, it's going to be more loaded now because Dumoulin's in there. Well, the Nibley's question is. Going, and I think Nibley going for polka dots will be great fun. Is he? Apparently. Is he? Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so. Uh, Yes, Carapath, he'll probably go to Ineos. It's, it's rumoured. Seems that way. Uh, in fact... Uh, to be fair to Ineos, they don't have enough talented young climbers, so... Um, no. Um, well, actually, that may not be the case now, simply because they've been chasing him. His contract was up this year. They were chasing him since he finished fourth last year. 
and you would imagine well imagine now that the price has gone up significantly you imagine as well they were chasing him to be uh, a super domestic and actually he would want to be a GC leader now mm. um, I see the scenes in Ecuador they've dropped bike tax as well you know, little, really as, a yeah, of, as, a, as a result of Carapaz's win so they've they've you pay if you buy a new bike, yeah. and then you pay no tax on it, mm. in order to encourage cycling. But that's a, that's that's a, a pretty baller move, if mm. I may borrow the youth colloquialism. Uh, so soon after Carapaz winning it as well, so he, he wins the Giro one day, the next day, boom, bike tax is well, You've got bike tax like car tax over there. Or does it I, uh, you see, so uh, what I've done here is read a headline yes. and, and not <laughs> followed on through. <laughs> I've thought to myself, that you, uh... that's an excellent move, Ecuador, well done. Yes. And then thought, I don't need to read any more of that. <laughs> so I, what I can't do is elaborate, but I would imagine it's, it's you know, they've knocked like the equivalent of VAT off. Mm. That's cool. I imagine that Ecuador... Buy, buy, Ecuador... I'm going to replace Roxanne. You with might find... No, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't looked into the shipping fee. Yeah. But you might find that you pay <laughs> quite... slightly more. <laughs> so possibly possibly my advice would be shop around. Yes. <laughs> Unless you really want to buy from Ecuador in order to support their cycling boom, which will undoubtedly happen. Are there any well, particularly... fact, As we're branching into consumer advice, you may have uh, noticed... Um, not too long ago, um, the right-to-work scheme was broadened where, whereas before it had a strict cap on the top value of bike that you could purchase. Now there is no cap, so to cut such cap. And in fact, now you can... There must uh, be a cap. So for just for everyone who's not from the UK or isn't aware of it, the right to work scheme... The UK right to work scheme. Is, is its new theme tune. Um, is uh, a, a scheme where they take tax off the purchase of bikes, so effectively, but you get a loan to buy your bike and then you pay it off through a loan. loan. <laughs> you get the loan <laughs> off your Mr. Mr. from Mr. Yeah. Peter Boone. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a government initiative yeah. to uh, obviously promote bike use. Uh, it's been quite successful, but for people like us, one of the frustrations has been that the highest value bike you can get, I think it's about £1,000, yeah. which is these days just not enough to get even a sort of second tier quality bike, unfortunately. Um, so uh, you can now pick up, for example, a Canyon Air Road on the on the right to work scheme. So that's jolly exciting. David, I sent a link to you. Yes. Because I know that you've expressed some interest. Yes, I'm still going to get the Scott Boyle. I'm, th- I'm thinking. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking. thinking. I'm thinking. About getting a new like, bike. Are you? Yeah. What are you going to get? Well, Canyon Air Road. Canyon Air Road. <laughs> it would be very tempting. Yeah, I could see you on a Bianchi. I do. I know. I know. I'm not allowed one, but I could see you with a Bianchi. It's just hard. I just think Will Goss on a Bianchi, lovely, little cup of coffee. Oh yeah, yeah. that's hitting me just right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, <laughs> but if you ride um, a Bianchi on the public roads with hairy legs and with mismatching kit, a small, lightweight, bald Italian comes around. And slaps you. And he just he just <laughs> sings at you. Mistake. <laughs> no, no. He he comes onto your oh, front door mia. and he puts um a celeste cross on your front door and then and then three weeks later your dog is kidnapped. Um, and you wake up with a horse's head in your bed. Yes. So, Steve, Steve is Italian cliches right yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're looking almost sinister actually for for those listening at home. If you can imagine Stephen looking sinister. Um, Steve, I've got good news for you this week. This is one of the things that I've done because no one's asked me. I bought a new Rafa top. Rafa jersey. Golly. What yeah. is it black? Is it navy blue? Navy blue. Does it have any uh, interesting... Uh, it's a sort of co- cobalt 
blue and it's got it's got a couple of uh, sort of grey stripes across the gonna, front. Oh, I'm sure you've got them out. Hey, you want the stripes going that way because if, if they're horizontal stripes, they're going to make you look wider. I, I actually don't suffer from any inhibitions when it comes to looking <laughs> wider on a bike. Right. So um, I'm all good with that. Okay, Inexplicably, yeah. even though I am, I think we can all agree on the you know spare side of felt. Um, skinny. He's skinny. I, I can end up looking quite porky on a bike sometimes. That is just fake news. That is really lying. I can't believe I've, I've, I've brought up Ratha and you haven't, which I really like, and you haven't used the, the term. Pre-Raphaelite, mm. as you like to call them. <laughs> Pre-Raphaelite. Steve, you're really not on the ball. Like, so we, last week we were going to do a, you know, when me and David cycled it because we we recorded at your place last week, and me and David rode a fairway, uh, and I turned up in in some gear that I thought, well, Steve's it's definitely going to feel day with this. Episode that never was. Well, it might pass. still be. I still be. Go on, just give a give us if you can picture picture what I was wearing in 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 not a weird way in your head. Give us, a, give us a rundown. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you've got... Well, the thing is, all, in themselves, all your items of clothing are unobjectionable. It's, it, but obviously, <laughs> a, a key part of a cyclist wardrobe is their ability to coordinate. So if you haven't got that component, then, you know, wearing a black and bright green gilet with, with you know, navy blues, navy blue shorts or the gilet from from riding the Il Lombardia sportive last yeah, so summer you're, you're even, that's even worse because what you've done there is mix branding so for example in my running it's a Castelli career, gilet yeah but I mean I would never ever go it's out legit. the house I own that I, I rode the top I rode shorts Why I not? rode the Lom- Il Lombardia sportive and I finished within the time cut yeah. <laughs> With twenty minutes uh, to I spare, if I, went I could have stopped for a coffee. And still co- is that because they, you didn't I... stop for chips? No, it's because it was a slightly easier, slightly shorter. Yeah. What I'm going to do if Graham <laughs> finishes the uh, Marmot this year, I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy when, two things. When Graham finishes, when Graham finishes, yeah. the oh, I think Marmot Stephen was correct. <laughs> if Graham <laughs> finishes the Marmot this year, I'm going to buy him two things. One is going to be a pair of matching Il Lombardia shorts from their website. <laughs> and, and the second will be a Marmot-related full ensemble, including, buy- including socks. Oh, I'm going to buy you some chips. Oh, I, I might feet. buy myself some chips, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Um, and I'm going to buy myself some chips we've on got top of the Galibier <clears throat> and Demars bar. Well, that's the deal, isn't it? You've got, to, you've got to ride it Wilgos style. Um, we, we're not just talking among ourselves this week, are we? We've got a, no, a couple of interviews lined up. So, how would you fancy riding 900 miles without full use of your arms and legs? Uh, well, I would think that would be... I can't imagine how that would be possible. Well, first of all, without proper use of your legs, you'd have to use a hand bike. Now, well, I think we've all had a go on a hand bike, and it's a bit of a nightmare, but it can be done. Um, imagine though that your uh, disability is such that you can't crank a handbike normally and you actually have to use your stomach muscles to create the circular motion with your arm. How about that? Uh, well, I'll be a bit, bit disingenuous there because I do not know how that's possible, but uh, what we are going to in fact hear how that's possible because we have been talking to... A remarkable man. Um, a remarkable man called Andrew Patterson who is taking on a challenge to do Le Jog uh, which is not so rare these days but in the way that he is going to be doing it um, is almost unique so uh, without further ado 
let's hear from Andrew. Right, my name is Andrew Patterson and I'm a hand cyclist. And um, what I'm aiming to do is a challenge to cycle on my hand bike from Land's End to John O'Groats. Now that might not be unusual because there are um, a number of other hand cyclists who have actually done it or doing it as we speak. Uh, but my slight difference is that I've got a number of limitations in my arms and my hands. Um, I'm a thalidomide, uh, uh, so um, I will never call myself a thalidomide victim, but I'm a person who has been the product of thalidomide. Right. And for those who may not know what thalidomide is, it was a drug that was produced um, in the 1950s and um, or late 1950s, and uh, it was given to uh, mothers who was, had um, quite bad morning sickness. And what what happened was the result was a number of babies were born uh, with uh, defects especially bone um, defects. So, yes, you, you mentioned, Andrew, um, that, you know, these days a Le jog challenge is not so unusual, um, but certainly um, with with the way you're going to go about it obviously brings um, some very interesting, perhaps unique challenges. Um, what, How have you sort of identified and, and sort of overcome some of these? Well, um, in order for me to actually, I, I, I live in mid Wales, therefore, you don't have any flat areas or flat <laughs> around here in any shape or form. Therefore, in order for me to actually um, uh, be a hand cyclist, I've had to adapt the bike um, and I retrofitted an electric motor, but it's not as uh, we know it as a power assist uh, motor. Now, there's a lot more people, there are many more people out there who are more knowledgeable on electric motors than I am. But the difference is, is that this is a torque sensor. Um, which means that it only kicks in when you actually require it, as in it, it recognises that the crank is turning, but it's actually struggling slightly. Therefore, it replicates the power that you put in. Because there's a lot of electric motors out there that the actual wheel just spins at a certain revolution, depending on what button you actually press. Well, this does not have a button that presses and the wheel does not revolve without me actually putting effort into it. Okay, so obviously, obvious question, have the UCI been involved to, uh, to, to legalise this, what is obviously ostensibly motor doping? Um, it is legal <laughs> in the sense, yes, true. It is legal in the sense that all electric bikes have got to have um, cut off at 15 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. um, they can't go above that. Um, therefore, if I do go faster, then it's under my own steam. Um, but it just gives you that extra oomph when you need it on the hills, basically, because all my upper body, I can't get off the seat and I've got no elbows either. Hence right. the reason why I've had to retrofit this. OK, so that, that sounds like a, a complicated process, but obviously um, I imagine the spectre of, of, of anyone who, un who knows anything about the Le Jog route, um, I assume you're starting in Devon, is that correct? With and for anyone knows Devon, there is no there is no flat and the hills are you know. <laughs> well you'd about start them. to be fair, Stephen, you start in Cornwall. Yes, I was just gonna say do the Cornwall part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I imagine it's just is is a bad or worse, yes. Yeah. You could do the Pudjog, I guess, from Plymouth. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> no, it, 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 Cornwall we actually started. 
Yeah. I'm, no, I'm just talking about innovation. That's the worst bit. So, you know, can, can we just go to, no, I better not say get rid of the Cornish, but no. Um, yes, <laughs> we start in Cornwall. We'll be uh, very much against the spirit of Le Jog to uh, miss out the hardest part. So, yeah. I, I, was ex- I was explaining it to some, one of my extended family once, uh, the concept of um, Le Jog, and they, they said that they would all start from Scotland because it was downhill, and I laughed. And then I realised they were actually serious, that they thought in some way that gravity would help. Um, well, in the sense of... You know what, I agree with them, in the sense of psycho- <laughs> psychologically. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Just it's like coming it's downhill. Yeah. It's coming all the way. On a map, it's downhill, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's psychological. But you're, the prevailing wind is 70% of the time westerly or southwesterly. Yeah, yeah. Um, occasionally you have a northerly, but it's mainly southwesterly. And the toughest bit of the whole route, I understand, is the first three days. If you can get through Cornwall and Devon, then they say it's easy because um, the other areas are not as, shall we say, as, as constantly hilly as those two are, those two counties. Uh, yes, and that's that's in fact, yeah, the, the, the typical reasoning because I think um, approaching it from... Uh, Scotland first you sort of almost with, with the hardest part at the end it's it becomes you know psychologically uh, pr- pretty hard going once you think you've always got through everything and then you're faced with with that bit at the end but um, um, in, those are the those are the um, disadvantages uh, are there any have you actually identified any any um, advantages to to being so low on the ground I imagine you're I don't know if you've calculated your aerodynamic advantage Oh, my word, my arrow. Um, no, because I, because of the way I have to reach for the um, crank, um, in the sense that a lot of hand cyclists are low down, i.e. they lay flat virtually on their backs, if you can kind of visualise that, and they use their arms fully and their elbows in order to actually turn the crank. Well, because I've got no elbows and I've got very short arms, I can't actually do that. Therefore, I'm sat kind of upright on the hand bike. Um, therefore, my aero status is, <laughs> I would say, pretty poor, really. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are, you, are you achieving the circular motion? Is it just a pumping motion that you can achieve from the shoulder no, no, up I, and down then? Or no, is it, what, how do you achieve the... I can turn the whole crank. But yeah. a lot of it is coming from my back muscles and stomach. I see, right? So you're, yeah, that's that's where you're getting that extra joint from. Jeez. So that, so are you having to do um, specific. I mean, I, I imagine you do anyway. But are you having to do extra specific um, uh, exercises on your lower back to support that, or your upper back? I do 200 sit-ups um, or semi crunches every day. Right. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because well, well, I've always yeah. done that anyway. But but. Mm. It's that motion, therefore, you know, my yeah. lower back and my upper back and my stomach muscles are really strong. I was going to say, so do you, um, do I, I imagine those, be, would those, are those muscles more are likely to fatigue quicker? What's, what's the, how's that going to manifest itself over the course of, because you're going to be riding for quite a long time each day, I imagine. What's, what's your strategy for dealing with the fatigue? That's a good question. I don't know until I do. Um, <laughs> um, it's like it's like today. I've just come back from a. I've just done a quick, well, a thirty-five mile ride, and it, eighteen miles was directly into a very, very strong wind, and then back. But um, and I'm and I'm absolutely fine. Um, but it's it's just doing it day in day out, isn't it? Therefore, you've just got mm. to build it up. Therefore, 
for the last fortnight, I've ridden every day. Um, so I'm not necessarily doing the 70, 80 miles a day that I'll be doing on the jog. I'm just riding between 35 and 40 miles, you know, gradually building it up and I'll increase it the nearer, you know, the nearer we get really. Um, but at the moment I haven't come across um, any kind of pain or anything like that. It's because I'm gradually doing it. I'm not kind of going in at the deep end and doing 70 miles and then having to, having three days to recover. So, mm. you know, I think the whole idea, isn't it, with training is to gradually increase it so you're ready a couple of weeks before. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to go in overtrained. We've talked about no. this before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I imagine that actually you'll finish it in in the in the shape of your life. In in, in fact, um, I think that over that. Or the opposite. Period, it, could go, it could go. It could go either way. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you could have. Yes, yes, yes. I could be rack and ruin, couldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, how how's how we how um. So you've got you've got a support crew. I, is, I guess your nutrition strategy would be similar to one anyone doing uh, the job, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. I'm, I'm actually meeting a nutritionist on a sports nutritionist actually on um, Wednesday hmm. because I'm slightly because I'm doing all these semi crunches um, throughout the whole day. It's very difficult actually to consume much food because yes. you're, because you're crunching your stomach. Right. Therefore, um, that's my concern, is to keep myself refueled during the day. Hence the reason why I'm seeing this person, in order to try and assess what's the best intake, so I don't get, get uh, stomach cramps, basically. Um, is, is that something you've encountered before? And on, I, you know, mm. how, what's, what's the longest rise you've done so far, or the long, you know? Um, 55. Right, so you've not, so, and how long would that take you? Uh, that took a couple of hours, uh, we'll say three, three or four hours. But the point there was, um, I kind of was doing a lapse of this kind of um, area. And after every lap, I kind of stopped and I had a kind of like a milkshake kind of uh, drink. And then I went again, but it wasn't that strenuous. Um, if you, though, were kind of setting off and you were facing kind of uh, as quite a, uh, a hilly day then you're going to be quite it's going to be quite strenuous isn't it therefore mm-hmm. you need far more effort um therefore it's just basically getting the balance right you know i love milk therefore anything that's could give me kind of the energy with milk involved that'd be great oh david david you're not a fan of milk are you? you're lactose intolerant actively i don't know yes i actively avoid it i yes i don't take any crap from milk i'm intolerant of it oh yes <laughs> <laughs> If yeah. I can, if I can. So, Andrew, what's your sort of why? Why this challenge? Why cycling? Do you have a sort of um, have you followed the sport, or was it something that you just sort of came to you one day as as and sort of lodged in your mind and, and grew from there? I suppose it it stems from my father because he he always was extremely active, and he used to to cycle quite a bit, and also um, in his youth. Um, he used to cycle with a friend called Peter um, on a tandem. And in fact, this is going back in the 50s. Um, he cycled uh, around Norway, um, him and Peter, on a tandem, which which was quite something actually in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, he, he's always had kind of cycling in his blood. And when I was young, and I say, you know, when I was like um, a schoolboy, um, I uh, used to have a trike, and it was an adult trike, 
with a fixed pedal because I've only got one leg. Therefore, um, and I used to have a, a, a kind of a stanchion on the right side so I could rest my artificial leg on that. And then I had a fixed wheel um, with no gearing, but fixed wheel on, uh, on the left. And I used to cycle to, to school all the time. And I used to cycle because I li we lived in Lincolnshire and near the fens, therefore it was pretty flat. Therefore, I used to cycle out on the fens all the time. Therefore, it was my independence, basically. Therefore, I love cycling from an early age. So that, that's where I've got the, the cycling bug. But um, with I didn't go continue on the trike because I had issues with my hip. And then kind of life gets involved, i.e. work and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I kind of took early retirement and then I set up my own business, I kind of um, uh, wanted something else to do. I played a lot of golf, but I thought, oh, Let's go get into hand cycling. So um, yeah, because I just enjoy cycling. So that's why. So, so with um, hand cycling, it's I suppose not very common. So did you have to kind of was there a lot of resources available for you to to help you sort of um, develop solutions for this, or did you have to sort of do a lot of the thinking yourself? And and I've thought about it a lot myself, and um, because you get a standard hand bike. Um, but you've got to adapt it. It's like I can't use any hand controls. Um, it's just the way my hands are. Therefore, for my brake lever, I've come up with I've got a foot brake, i.e. where my leg rests, my left leg rests. I've actually put a brake on the actual foot rest. Therefore, I, I press that down and then it's, it's got a um, uh, um, kind of uh disc at the front and it just breaks on that on the front disc. Oh, so i was going to say is it, it I, I presumed it would be a disc brake on the front to cope yes, with it is. because therefore you can apply less pressure i guess and as well and, and actually stop it yeah and i've put d2 on it as well um ah, that makes sense that was my next question <laughs> oh sorry sorry yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because that makes it life so much easier it's just i can just yeah. leave because i can't really take my hands off the crank otherwise it makes it difficult therefore it's just a quick flick with a with my uh, finger and then you can change the gearing. So, so that's having been Stephen has um, a DR2, and having been on you know many cycling trips over the years um, with him since he's uh, acquired it, I can tell you that the one thing that I've learned from him um, is that you've always got to keep a spare battery, um, or uh, or make sure you charge it up because he's utterly useless at doing it. So, um, a learning from this is we will we'll say um, that please take a spare battery with you. Can I say I fully understand Stephen's. Probably because I've been out there, <laughs> all of a sudden, oh dear, I can't change gear. You've suddenly got a fixie and you're in yes, the wrong way. Yes, yeah. you, and then you're stuck for the rest of the ride. Yes. Well, the, the key there is to have the, where well, you I, need the presence of mind to uh, make sure when it's going that you stick it in a medium gear. <laughs> Otherwise, you... Absolutely. I've always got in the back of my mind, oh, dear, please don't let the battery go all of a sudden. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. So, are you um, are you going to? Is, is your plan to ride? I, I mean, I guess as you said, you're still you're kind of going to find out when you're doing it. But is, is the plan to ride just in in daylight hours or, or a certain? Or a specific oh, correct, yes. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole idea is that we're aiming to cycle between seventy and eighty miles a day. Each right. hotel's been booked, okay, and and that day is going to be split into like three in, into hopefully into three um, sessions. Okay, therefore. If you're doing kind of like 75 miles in that day, then you do a morning session of 50, but split mm. into two 25s. 
and then you have a lunch and then you have a, a gentle 25 in the afternoon so it gives you plenty of time to recover for the next day right yeah that makes sense the last thing i want to do is to crawl into the hotel at seven eight o'clock at night but it yeah. might happen because you don't know what's you do not what you know you don't know what the weather's going to be or anything like that but that, that that's the idea to be up early and get those miles in and then you only have a kind of a shortish distance in the afternoon and so so you you started talking about um the uh, adjustments that you've made to the bike is, is that uh is is that something you did or, or did you have engineering help with that and and how much of it is is completely bespoke i'm, I'm really kind of interested in in, in how uh, you've come up with the bike that you've got it's it's all bespoke and i've got a very good friend uh, called chris moore who actually has helped me and um, he, he kind of deals deals with a bit of engineering and uh, we've come up with the solutions on that ourselves really would, would that be something that could be useful to other people as well in a similar situation? Yes, but there's there's very few torque sensor motors out there. Right. There are a lot. The majority of the e-bikes these days are a power assist, aren't they? Where it's on a yeah. cadence sensor, yeah. sensor, where you just flick a switch and you can just go. As soon as you start start pedaling around, then the the wheel drives. Yeah. Um, and this company that I've got mine off was a Bionics, which is a Canadian firm. Mm-hmm. And they've developed this over the last 20 years. But unfortunately, they went into liquidation um, <laughs> in October of last year, 2018. <laughs> Therefore, I'm just praying that nothing breaks on the bike. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm doing, just in case, I'm actually preparing a second bike with a mid-drive uh, torque sensor motor right. on it, which is slightly different altogether. Have you come across a mid-drive motor? Uh, not at all. So if, I mean, if it can be explained in kind of short right. order and, and do. A mid-drive motor you find a lot on mountain bikes these days because it's actually right by the actual crank. Right. And um, it drives the actual chain or, or the actual uh, and, the ch- and, and the chain ring, so to speak. And that means the benefit of that is, is that all your wheels are freewheeling. Because if you actually have the motor in a hub, then you've got yeah. the magnet, so to speak, and you never have such a, as a free wheel. You're, you're using some of the right. motor energy in order to turn the actual wheel in the first place. Whereas with a hub a hub motor, you, you've got, sorry, with, with a with a mid-drive motor, you've got none of that. All your wheels right. are free, therefore it's just driving via the crank. So in fact, if you at first only reason are sort of reduced to the mid-drive, how much harder will that make um, the trip from that point on? I don't know because I haven't tried it out yet. Um, <laughs> um, hopefully it'll be ready uh, end of next week. Therefore, uh, is, there, um, is there any chance you'll sort of realise it's so effective that you'll you'll swap it as your into your, as being your primary? I don't think so because I've had to retrofit it on a cross-country mm-hmm. uh, handbike, which is slightly heavier, a sturdier frame, um, and I'd pref- if it is going to be far more efficient, I'd prefer that to put. Put that on, onto my racing bike um okay yeah, yeah. but, but I'll, I'll just have to stick with the actual um uh the cross-country one if it you know if the other one fails therefore so final two questions then um have you identified if there's any records you could be breaking oh i doubt it and i'm not interested <laughs> <laughs> um i'm not doing it for that at all um uh i'm not doing it for any um uh, uh record-breaking activity or anything like that I'm just doing it um, to see whether I've never found yet my limitations in life. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm doing it to challenge myself 
but also to raise money for charity. Mm. Okay, and on that note, um, how can people follow your progress? Um, and which charity is it? Yeah. Right, fine. Um, the charity, I'm doing it for three cancer charities, and that is Macmillan Air Cancer Support, Prostate Cancer UK, and the Roof Strauss Foundation, which has just been set up uh, by Andrew Strauss, the um, ex-England yeah. cricket captain. Um, yeah. Yes, correct, correct. Um, which I thought when I when I read about that in the Times, I thought that was a wonderful foundation to set up. Mm. So uh, it links the three in because you've got support for the cancer sufferer, you've got prostate cancer UK, and then you've got uh, lung cancer, but also assisting the bereaved as well uh, through 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 the process. Um, so I'm doing it for those three three charities, and what I'm going to do, I'm setting up a separate Facebook page. Um, that's going to have um, a short video on it um, and then it's going to be linked to Instagram and Twitter and then all going to a Just Giving uh, site and the whole idea is that I'm um, aiming to give a, a bit of a live uh, feed every single day of the actual journey onto the Facebook site. Obviously for all our listeners we'll, uh, we'll make sure we have a link to that um, and keep you updated throughout um, so how, how long how long um, are you expecting it to take? Just again? Unlucky for some, 13 days. 13 and days. I it's not you. unlucky, isn't it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we don't hold with superstition on those pine Good, no. good. Like, <laughs> like very rational creatures. Yes, neither do I until I do this challenge and something happens. But no, but no 13 days is the um, aim. So okay, well, Andrew... Um, all the best of luck. We'll be following your progress and perhaps uh, hopefully you'll be able to um, come back on the pods afterwards and tell us all about it. Uh, may I just thank uh, you, uh, Stephen and David on uh, Life Behind uh, Bars uh, for um, uh, doing this interview. It's been much appreciated and hopefully I get much publicity uh, for raising money for the charities. Yeah, well, best of luck. I've, um, we're all, uh, you know, we're completely behind you and uh, yeah, we think uh, it's, you're, well, you're going to have a great time. Thank you. in July. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Just uh, we can't guarantee that you'll have fun in Devon. Apologies. <laughs> or Cornwall. Yeah, or Cornwall. Yes. yes. <laughs> Make sure that you start in Cornwall. That's key. <laughs> That's very key. Yes. That's it for this week's edition of Life Behind Bars. Uh, David, you can find us on social media until our next episode at LBB Pod. That's Twitter and Life Behind Bars podcast everywhere else. Lovely. Uh, Thanks again for joining us this week. Stephen, it's good night from him. Salut. David, good night from him. And it's good night from him. Goodbye.